Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. I now invite Walter Lohman, Director of Heritage's Asian Studies Center, to come on screen. We hope you enjoy the program. Uh, good morning and good evening to friends in, in the Indo-Pacific. Um, I'm Walter Lohman, Director of the Asian Studies Center at the Heritage Foundation. I'm really glad you could join us for this discussion this morning about the current situation in Burma. We're very honored today to have with us the Foreign Minister of the National Unity Government of Burma, Dawson Marong. Uh, I'll introduce her shortly here for, for her remarks, but uh, first I wanted to introduce um, a longtime friend of, of Burma and the cause of democracy in Burma, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, uh, for some brief remarks. Since the 1990s, when building on his experience as a leader against apartheid in South Africa, he took the lead in sanctioning the Burma military regime of that era, Senator McConnell has been the go-to person in Washington on anything involving Burma. That's for 25 years. This was the case throughout the 2000s and up until President Obama sought his partnership to respond to what was then political change, positive political change uh, in the country. Through all these years, even if once in a while we may have disagreed with the way that uh, Senator McConnell approached the issue, particularly the, the partnership with Obama, um, I know, and I know people in the movement, uh, the supporters of Burma know that Senator McConnell's primary concern has always been the liberty of the Burmese people. So we're very pleased that he chose to share with us his thoughts in the introduction to this program today. Hello, I'm Senator Mitch McConnell. Historically, even among foreign policy experts, Burma has received very little attention here in Washington, but its struggle for democracy and self-determination has been a personal focus of mine for many decades. I've known Aung San Suu Kyi for many years. We corresponded while she was under house arrest. Over the years, I've done my best to advocate for the people of Burma, to lift up the focus for good in their country, to support the pro-democracy movement, and to impose costs on the military junta that has so often suppressed the will of the people. And I've done my level best to keep the plight of Burma's people in full view of policymakers here in Washington, even when atrocities and injustices committed against them were not on the front page of our newspapers. The way I see it, <clears throat> supporting our friends in the cause of democracy is one of the best ways to honor our own. Even more so today, as China seeks to expand its malign influence throughout Southeast Asia, including Burma. Unfortunately, the coup and the junta's brutal violence against its own people have brought Burma back to the center of the international stage without any help from us. The Tatmadaw has stolen not just an election, but the country from the people. The junta has detained democratically elected leaders. They've gunned down hundreds of pro-democracy advocates for demonstrating peacefully in the streets. They've imprisoned thousands of protesters on sham charges. They've detained foreign expert advisors to the democratically elected government on key reforms as hostages. In short, the military has declared war on its own people. The resilience of the people of Burma has been nothing short of inspiring. 
The injustice has brought young and old to the streets. It has led Burma's ethnic majority and its ethnic minorities together to focus on their shared democratic aspirations. And it's spurred real bipartisan action right here in the United States. I've been in close touch with the Biden administration on Burma, discussing how to best support the opposition to the junta while standing up new targeted sanctions and export licensing bans to hit the leaders of the military coup where it hurts, right in the wallet. And I've been encouraged by the administration's swift response. Now, the junta is listed alongside regimes like the ones in China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, and Syria, and subject to the strictest military end-user controls. The U.S. has marked the junta's most prominent generals and holding companies for additional crippling prohibitions. But the people of Burma are still waiting. They're waiting for the international community to join in wider condemnation of this forced military rule and to recognize and support the democratically elected national unity government. They're waiting for the UN Security Council to overcome its most intransigent members and levy serious sanctions and arms embargoes of its own. And they're waiting for much needed humanitarian aid for the growing number of internally displaced persons along the border with Thailand. But unfortunately, to Moscow or Beijing, military intimidation and brutal suppression of dissent, including dissolving opposition political parties, aren't outrageous violations of fundamental norms. They're second nature. So if consensus cannot be found at the UN Security Council, then the U.S. and its democratic partners should force China or Russia to veto measures intended to restore democracy in Burma, clarifying for the world who stands with the people of Burma on the right side of history. Frankly, there's no greater gift the free world could give the Chinese Communist Party than by staying silent as a promising democratic movement is suffocated in its own backyard. For far too long, a corrupt military and outside forces like the PRC have played minority groups against one another to ensure that self-determination remains a pipe dream. They know that a Burma divided against itself is easier to manipulate and exploit than a robust democracy. But today, Burma's oppressors face a new and encouraging resolve among its citizens. Even as the international community has been slow to unite behind them, the people of Burma have shown the potential to heal even the country's deepest ethnic divisions. And they've demonstrated courage and a commitment to freedom that stands in contrast to the junta's cowardice in slaughtering young and old. When this movement prevails, the exiled leaders of the NUG will have crucial tasks before them, turning widespread opposition to the military coup into united support for a lasting democracy for all of Burma's people, urgently making long overdue reforms to Burma's economy, constitution, and security institutions, and showing that nationwide reconciliation is the only real path forward to a democratic future. So I'm grateful to the Heritage Foundation for putting this spotlight on Burma. I'm grateful to all of you for your work and interest and commitment to this important cause. And I'm especially glad that Da Zingmar Ong, the NUG foreign minister, is able to join and participate today. Thank you for being with us. Please never doubt the United States of America and our people are pulling hard for your success. 
thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you. Uh, I'm very glad that um, I'm very glad that Senator McConnell was able to to offer those remarks to to record that uh, for us. Uh, he truly is a historic figure on on Burma policy. Um, going back to the 1990s, uh, single-handedly um, drawing attention to the plight of the Burmese people at a time where people really were not very focused on it. Um, and now he's back in the ring again, uh, fighting the same battle uh, that has very, very much uh, the same hallmarks as, as 25 years ago, uh, un unfortunately. Well, now it's my honor to introduce uh, Foreign Minister of the National Uni Unity Government, Dawson Marong. Uh, Dawson Mar has just assumed this role since March. Of course, it wasn't necessary uh, until last year's coup that there be uh, such a government in, in internal exile, essentially. Um, she's only taken the post since last March, but don't let her youthful looks fool you. Dawson Mar is a veteran of Burma's struggle for democracy. And prior to her election to the lower house in 2015, she was a leader in Burma's civil society movement. And before that, she spent an unfortunately long period of time as a political prisoner in Burma for her activism. Uh, thank you, um, Dazen Mar, for, for your service in the cause of freedom. I'd like to invite you now to, uh, to turn on your camera and, and present us your remarks. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much, Walter, for uh, that kind and generous introductions. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to the Heritage Foundations for hosting this event and for giving me the opportunity to brief on the current situations in Myanmar. I would like to also thank you, uh, my colleague, Mr. Tinlea, for uh, for helping to join this, uh, you know, event. Actually, it it has been over hundred days since the military illegally seized power from the duly elected civilian government and systematically dismantled the country's democratic institutions. Uh, this, it, it continues to murder civilians and elected members of the parliament, demolish press freedom and individual liberties and detain anyone publicly voicing opposition to its rule by violence. As of yesterday, there are recorded uh, 827 deaths committed by the security forces and 4,313 people, including our political leaders, has been arrested, charged or sentenced. These figures may be more in reality. It is critical to highlight this data to constantly remind ourselves of the tragedy that the military brought upon the people of Myanmar and atrocity its perpetuated to retain its illegally seized power. It is very, very clear that the conspirator of the coup do not serve the people's interest. They are only interested in protecting themselves. The military no longer protects the people of Myanmar. Instead, they are destroying the life and the interests of Myanmar, you know, including airstrikes on its own people in Chin, Kachin, Kyar, and Kenyan state slaughters of civilians in every state and regions. A humanitarian crisis is worsening with the influx of refugees as uh, at the border areas, and the number of internally displaced people increase 
as these uh, you know security situations across the country deteriorates the current political crisis has disrupted the economy and created uh, and certainly leading to instability the current situation is an indication that the coup has failed and the state administration council does not control the country you know as as long as the military remains in power the people of myanmar are determined you know to demand a return to a democracy and thus the country remains at high risk of further escalating violence the collapse of the economy instability at the border areas and social instability actually it is also important to highlight the regional and global implications of the coup d'etat our situation is a threat not just to the Myanmar democracy but also to a global democracy if military hunters succeed, it shows that military power and, and check totalitarian regime can take over democracy. We don't want Myanmar to be a president for other democratic countries around the world. Our situation is a manifestation of the possible great challenge against democracy in the world. The instability in our country also allow the trans, transnational crimes to increase across our borders, and this will have a long-term impact on regional peace and security. The military actions have, uh, you know, reverberated across the associations of Southeast Asian nations, presenting the body with the greatest challenge to its legitimacy in well over a decade. While ASEAN has tried to rely on its members to address the military's assault on ASEAN values, Sadly, the military rejected the so-called ASEAN Five Points consensus even before returning to Myanmar from Indonesia. ASEAN now feels greater pressure as a result, with the body now in the midst of an existential crisis as its efforts to address the chaos have failed. Meanwhile, the militaries continue to undermine democracy, human rights, and good governance, which is mentioned in the uh, ASEAN Charter. You know, recently, they tried to ban the NLD as a political party on May 21 uh, press conference, and changing the Kumana and Chief's retirement age, meaning that the, the military has no intention of ever restoring democracy, continued crime against humanity around the country, including airstrike on its home people in ethnic areas, and a slaughter of civilian, civilian in every states and regions. The military has ruthlessly attacked and jailed doubters and nurses, and its violence has brought the country's health system to a standstill. While the previous government had made major investment in modernizations of the country's health system through smart loans from the World Bank, the military has militarized hospitals restricting any opponents of its military dictatorships from access to life-saving health. This combined with its ongoing rule by violence has sent many people across the border into China, Thailand, especially Thailand, Bangladesh, and India. This has played a role in the spread of COVID-19, causing significant cross-border infections in China, Thailand, and Bangladesh. Moving forward, the military's failure at governance will cripple mainland Southeast Asians' response to the pandemic 
and could delay the region's recovery by six months or more, costing neighboring economy billions of dollars in lost GDPs. This is a viable alternative, actually, on the other hand, to current political crisis. As a government backed by the people of Myanmar, we at the National Unity Government have been tirelessly working to lay down the principle and roadmap to bring political, economic, and social stability back. Let me highlight the significant political milestone we have achieved so far, not only as a committee representing Pidang Sulhotor, but more importantly, as the National Unity Government of Myanmar. We have formed the National Unity Government as a government with the most inclusive and diverse cabinet members in the history of Myanmar, with nine women and 12 ethnic leaders in key cabinet positions. National Unity Government is leading the executive centers of the Union of Republic of Myanmar, exercising the mandate and powers conferred by the people of Myanmar in the 2020 general elections. We have promulgated a charter, which we call the Federal Democracy Charter, that reflects the collective interests of our people and emphasizes peace building at the core of the state building. When I was confirmed as the Minister of Foreign Affairs in April last month, I made my commitment to the irreversible implementations of the Federal Democracy Charter. The Charter guides our works and stipulates the fundamental principles and roadmap to address the legitimate grievances of all the people of Myanmar through a Federal Democracy. It is also essential to highlight that the Charter is an outcome of an extensive dialogue between the committee representing Pidang Zulodor ethnic M organizations, civil disobedience movement leaders, political parties, civil society, including women and young. We know that the only will to resolve the political issue in Myanmar and establish long-term peace and stability is to establish federal union that will guarantee rights to the other federal states and ethnic nationalities. We have already abolished the 2008 constitution. This is a fundamental step towards transitioning the military under civilian control. The military has repeatedly used that you know, 2008 constitution to instigate political and economic instability in the country. As part of the Charter's roadmap, the constitutional conventions shall be convened to develop and validate a new federal constitution. We have rescinded the illegal associations of all ethnic M organizations EAO, in recognition of their legitimate grievances and as a step towards fogging national unity and reconciliation. Due to the violent crackdown of the state administration councils, security forces, in the absence of international responsibility to protect, people in different regions prepare to protect themselves. The NUG has the responsibility to protect our people and end the civil war of over 70 years, implement effective security setup reforms, and establish federal democratic forces to end the violence actions and military aggressions and hostility of the military council. There are two interlinked priorities that NUG needs full support. One, an exit strategy for the military and revert. Myanmar back to civilian democratic rules. And the second one is the implementation of the charter and prepare NUG for the post-state administration council period. 
The most urgent issue we need to address is to defeat the gender and revert back to civilian democratic governance. As part of our national strategy, we continue to engage with the ethnic M organization, CDM leaders, political parties, and civil society leaders across the country to align the strategy to put pressure against Mayorline and his state administration council. Why we continue to push for our internet strategy, we would like to urge the government of the international community to take all necessary actions unilaterally and through multilateralism to put pressure against military, the state administration council, and the countries supporting them. There is a need to cut its weapon supply and cut the catch supply and cut the impunity. And to support energy and ethnic M organization as deemed appropriate to strengthen our approach against the regime. In this regard, we understand the limitations of the different countries to recognize governments and a continued public engagement with the national unity government is a significant message that the international communities is engaging the supporting the democratic forces. We need the global platform to amplify, not just the atrocity being committed by the military, but also the positive stories that are coming out of this political crisis. So we would like to mobilize diplomatic relations to influence big regional and global power with high interest in Myanmar to support national unity government. We call on the international community to mobilize its influence to multilateral institutions and regional partners to engage key regional and geopolitical stakeholders, such as uh, China, Japan, South Korea, ASEAN, and the Quad, to support a new G effort to bring Myanmar back and a democratic civilian government. The NUG is currently talking appropriate steps to implement 2021 Federal Democracy Charter. The following are a few examples. We will continue dialogue process between the national unity government and others democratic forces to finalize national unity consultative council and UCC. The process of drafting new constitution based on the five guiding principle stipulates in the charter has already begun. This process is headed by the Ministry of Federal Affairs from the National Unity Government. At the same time, the Ministry of Defense is currently setting up defense and security structure and code of conduct to mitigate the risks of escalating of violence due to emerging people's military initiative. We also understand the importance of the inclusions in the National Unity Government's works that we continue to reach out to all others group. We recognize the Rohingya's populations as part of the issues we need to address and their voluntary, safe and dignified return is one of our key priorities according to the Kofi Annan Commission's report. However, let us be clear that as long as military holds power, condition for safe and dignified return will remain elusive. But we are now working and discussing with the, all the stakeholders in Rakhine State, including Rakhine and you know, the Rohingya community. Myanmar's effort to hold Tamador accountable through its domestic judicial system has been exhausted. That's why we are also exploring an opportunity to ratify the Rome Statute. 
to ensure that the military is held accountable in the International Criminal Court for its crime under international law. With your continued support, we are optimistic that we will be able to return to democracy and end the decades of physical and structural violence repeatedly inflicted on our people by the Myanmar military. So I really appreciate and our deepest appreciation to all of you for your solidarity to our country and giving me that kind of uh, flow. Thank you. Thank you so much for those, uh, those remarks. Um, they're very, very helpful and very encouraging in, in, in many ways. Um, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about how uh, extraordinary it is that, and, and really take for granted the technology that we can use. You know, here I am in the comfort of my own house in Virginia, um, with really in the overall scheme of things, not a worry in the world, you know, let's face it. And there you are, uh, in Burma, right on the cusp of, uh, of breaking developments and, and really with your life and your security and your, your, your health on the line every day. And so I think that's an important thing to, to recognize. Um, but, you know, if there is one thing different um, than the 90s when we went through this, uh, it is that technology. Now, that is the one big difference, I, I think, and that we couldn't do this uh, even in the in the 2000s as we went through the Saffron Revolution and everything else. There was not this opportunity, and so I hope that you're, you know, you're right that you are able to mobilize international opinion and, and create a a more continually interested um, public outside of outside of Burma. Um, I wanted to bring into this conversation now um, Utin Lin Ong, who is um, the National Uni Unity Government Special Representative for International Relations um, based in Washington, D.C., um, near here, in fact, in, in Maryland. Uh, Utin himself is a veteran of the student movement, um, as well as a former political prisoner. Um, I, I want to thank him as well for all that, that he's done over the years. Um, in the cause of liberty in Burma. And I invite him to join us, if he can turn on his camera and join us for the Q&A here. Um, Mar, the, the one thing I wanted to ask you here right off the, right off the bat is um, about US policy. You know, this was something that we coordinated um, in, in very difficult ways over the years uh, with uh, dissidents in Burma um, and, and supporters of the movement. Um, um, but I wanted to ask you, since we have this opportunity to get it directly from you, what do you think about the current US approach and specifically what do you think about how we approach, uh, how we approach sanctions? The question is for me. Uh, it's for either of you, but if you'd like to start and then maybe Utin can, can, can chime in. But, but basically the question is, uh, do you like the sanctions approach? Is that helping you? Is that something we ought to do more of? How should we structure, uh, how should we structure them in the way that would be most useful? Yeah, I, I would say it's something is, you know, better than nothing. You know, these sanctions, uh, uh, you know, it's initially it's 
it's you know kinds of you know response you know that uh, condemn the the military coup d'etat so it should be the very initial uh, stage but mm -hmm. i think we 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 still need to you know follow up whether the military you know take care of sanctions and what what you know their behavior will change through that kind of sanctions or not so we still need to you know you know see the very closely whether it is workable or not if not that's why we are continuously uh you know demand more and more pressure not just only the you know uh sanctions but also others diplomatic pressures and others uh you know embargoes or you know something like that so yeah so this is uh, just briefly you know sanction is still work but not enough not enough and and um so would you say that they need to be more broad i mean you know in the it, it, up until 2016 really there was a very broad uh set of sanctions imposed on on burma including investment and trade and and many other things are you suggesting that or or is a targeted approach better yeah we prefer you know targeted targeted sanctions instead of blanket blanket sanctions mm -hmm. so because you know military is still military and you know their empire and their you know relatives still have privilege not just in the politics but also in in, in you know economic uh, empire so that's why you know this blanket session is really still effective for those uh you know the military dictators and their empires their families and their relatives actually they really take care because they really take care of their self own interest not for you know our the the, the country's interest yeah yeah well well if technology has changed in 20 years that's one thing that hasn't changed in 20 years the military is really only concerned with right. the military and their their lives and their fortunes and, and their families and everything else. Um, Utin, yeah. anything you'd like to add there? Yeah, yes, uh, I want to add a little bit more, um, uh, if I may. Um, for, for example, uh, uh, like uh, we we like to have um, more and more sanctions <laughs> to come, you know, uh, so to make uh, the military. Um, or weekend because sanction is one of the tools that we like to to use to to uh, to make like you said uh, the military uh, uh, weekend and uh, that's why we encourage uh, the U.S. to impose the the coordinated targeted sanctions to cut off the hunters you know financial flows through any and um, all means possible. Mm. Um, history has taught us that uh unilateral sanctions didn't didn't i mean don't work and uh, that's why i urge the u.s to use its influence across the board to um, coordinate with like-minded allies and partners in ensuring the uh, uh the effective sanctions program mm -hmm. uh, i've got a few uh, immediate examples you know, for example, cutting off the hunters' access to global financial uh, um, uh, markets via Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, and uh, calling for an arms embargo, as well as 
uh, imposing sanctions on any and uh, all financial institutions that uh, facilitate arms transactions for the uh, uh, Myanmar military and uh, um, tightening restrictions around MOGE uh, in collaboration with EU, South Korea, and Thailand to escrow uh, payments to prevent directly flowing to the military. You know, that's mm -hmm. very important, very, very important. Mm -hmm. uh, we wish to make the clarification that this is not a call uh, the, against the existing U.S. investments in, in Burma uh, or any uh, future foreign investments to, to the uh, uh, country uh, after Myanmar's uh, rightfully elected government has been fully restored. It's very clear. Uh, but the NUG believes uh, U.S. and Western businesses to be the gold standard in both practice um, and ethics. And uh, we look forward to seeing more investments in the future, but uh, uh, only after the people's government, you know, NUG has been rightfully restored to power. Uh, so we call on the private sector today to work with us with the NUG and find creative solutions in ensuring that your payments, you know, do not go to benefit uh, uh, the military at mm -hmm. all. So payments but, that are being made to, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. uh, a little, just a little bit more, <laughs> uh, payments that are being made to or, or accessible by the military uh, uh, through its illegal seize of the state apparatus are payments that are funding for the bloodshed of the uh, Burmese people. Thank you. Sure, but the um, the investments from international um, corporations in and of themselves are not a problem. It's the flow to the military and we have to find ways to get at that flow to the military, if I understand you you correctly. Yes. So so even in the, even in the interim before NUG comes to power and we have a new constitution and everything else, you're not calling for a boycott. You're calling for a way to control the revenue flows so that they do not empower and enrich the military. Is that, am I exactly. summarizing that correctly? Okay. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, that's what I meant. Okay, that's, that's terrific. Um, well, you know, I wanted to ask you, I was planning on asking you about the Rohingya issue, but I think, I think you probably already heard that from many people in Washington, uh, our continuing interest in that. Um, as you can imagine, um, Aung San Suu Kyi really disappointed many of us uh, with her approach to that. I mean, it's hard to, uh, hard to overstate the amount of disappointment there was in the way that she handled that. And, and in fact, so much so that um, it's discredited her in many circles. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine her leading this, this next struggle for democracy for those reasons. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear your reassurances uh, on that point. And so um, I, I won't belabor that. I, I'm glad to hear your, your very positive comments on that. Uh, and um, I commend you for those. Um, we did get a couple questions in from the audience that I'd like to ask you in our remaining 10 minutes or so here. Um, one is how do you overcome the challenge of not being able to vet the ANUG through elections and still ensure continued popular support. 
So you were elected, and so you already have, uh, that is, uh, Darzan Mar, you were elected, and, and Utin represents an elected government, essentially. Um, but if this continues, this current situation continues, and, you know, I imagine it will, uh, despite the military's promise of elections, I think even if you have elections, they're going to be sham elections, like uh, you know, sham process like you had in Thailand. But given that, over the long term, how do you maintain um, popular support without having to go to the ballot box and, and, uh, and campaign? Sorry, Walter. I can hear you, Ali. Uh, Ali, a part of your questions because uh, what, of what, my connection. The, the, the question is really um, without um, without elections. And, and you know this situation could drag on, you know, without legitimate real elections. Uh, how do you, as a as a as a movement, maintain popular support over the long term? Actually, you know, the that was recent elections. You know, 2020 November elections recently, very recently. You know, so. They can't guarantee, you know, the military and even the 2008 constitution can guarantee. It's, you know, totally depends on the will of the dictators and the military. So that's why people of Myanmar will not agree whether, you know, new elections is coming. So that's why, you know, the, the trust between the military leaders and the people is already destroyed. So, that's why, you know, we are, as long as, uh, you know, we are in line with the, the people interest. So we, we don't need, you know, any elections again, because nobody, nobody believe, because every, you know, some of the, uh, recently the international observers also, you know, launched their reports and their observations, you know, 2020 elections, is not uh, in, it really totally reflect the you know the the, the people, and then also the reason why the military coup d'état is not you know on the strong uh, is not a strong reason. It's already show what did and what does the military is you know uh, respond, and it's just only for the reason to to make a coup d'état. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the remarkable thing about the military's objection to the election is that there was no surprise to anyone except them, I guess, because <laughs> the margins of support uh, for for your movement is pretty consistent. It's a landslide, uh, landslide levels over many years, 2015, uh, 1990 even. Um, so they seem to be the only one surprised and the only one who thinks that it, there would have to be fraud involved because everybody knew they were going to lose the election. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about another thing, um, and frankly, something that I think Washington was a little bit disappointed with um, Su Chi's government was um, the approach to China. Um, you know, because I think the, the, the strongest supporters of Burma saw it as, you know, we were the ones in the trenches here working for Burma for so long. 
And then before she even became state counselor, she visited China and she seemed to have a good relationship there. Um, I don't know if, if NUG, if and when NUG comes to power, how do you how do you see the relationship with China? And and I'll invite Uten as well to to comment on that. But Dawson uh, uh, Mar, would you would you like to start? All right, it's very very I think it's very simple and very clear. You know you know the the what I I when you ask the questions I you know I remind the what Dawson Suji said you know. We can move as a country. We cannot move uh, our country if, even though we don't like our neighboring. So we cannot move as a house, as a country. You can move, and then at the same time, China is, you know, not just only our neighbor, but also the, uh, you know, the, the the superpower. And we, you know, there are so many, uh, you know, challenge, uh, you know, around the borders, and you know. So I think that's why is he's very I think instead of approaching our former allies, so I think it's much more practical. But at the same time, I think it doesn't mean that he is not uh, abandoning uh, the our former democratic alliance because I, I think she is very much uh, uh, you know you know I think how can I say he is very sure for sure is that U.S. and others democratic. Uh, you know, not not, you know, you know, especially need to approach or something like that. I think this is what I'm thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and there is a certain practical side of it. No question about that. You know, I can I can understand. I can certainly understand that, especially on the security side. In fact, you know, I think a lot of attention is paid to the economic benefits, um, and that's sort of as Beijing would like it for us to focus on. The economic benefits, but they also, uh, in some ways, they, you know, they, uh, they're, they're a threat, right? I mean, they're a security threat in some ways. They, they're supporting yes, exactly. ethnic insurgencies and things like that. Um, so it's something that you have to deal with. I, I accept that. Uten, did you want to add anything there? Um, I just have a little bit uh, on that because. Uh, sure. Like like uh, uh, the minister said, uh, uh, we cannot move out of this house. Let's say that way. <laughs> uh, that is one thing that, and uh, we want to see a good neighbor. You know, um, uh, our neighbors are behaving uh, uh, good to us, and we will be behaving to uh, uh, to our neighbors in in, in uh, to be a good neighbor also. You know, in mutual respect. And, um, and another thing I want to add is uh, China has a lot of interest on uh, 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 in Burma as they have got a lot of uh, uh, investment in in Burma already. So it, I believe China's interest to prevent Burma's. Uh, 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 I mean, it is it is in uh, China's interest to prevent Burma's collapse and. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I have no doubt that our uh, Chinese leaders uh, uh, and Chinese government uh, will want to see uh, the peace and stability in Burma because uh, mm -hmm. that will benefit them also and their investments. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they cannot do uh, any investment in Burma until the stability has come and restored. You know, mm -hmm. so. 
we hope they will do smart thing and the right thing. Um, uh, so, so without engaging with the NUG, uh, there's no way, uh, and uh, they have to, I mean, they have to be, I, I believe they are smart. They are smart, they are already smart, you know. Well, that's for sure. I mean, I think, um, I think that's your challenge is to convince them that you are the only way to stability because I think they're um, neutral on the means that are used to establish stability. And if they think that the military can do it, uh, fine with them, you know. Yes. Uh, so yes. you have to convince them that there is no stability without a civilian elected government, um, and that that will be a major challenge. You know, we're we're about to wrap up here. I, before we do, I just I did want to say um, we've touched a couple times on uh, Dasu and her her tenure and the criticism that she's faced, but you know, I very much care about her continuing safety and her freedom. Um, and if anything is to happen to her, I think you will find Washington reunited again behind her cause. Um, if still a little, a, a little, uh, you know, reflective of the last uh, five years and, and things that have been done or haven't been done, I think, I think people will rally to her once again and support her and, and there would be terrible consequences or anything to happen to her not not just in washington but in the international community so so i pray for her continued um uh, safety and, and freedom as well as yours uh Dawson mar and i applaud you for your your bravery in fact um i uh, wish you godspeed and um um we hope to welcome you here someday and give you the Congressional Medal of Freedom um, when all this is said and done. So um, thank you very much for joining us, for, for helping us bring attention to this, this issue. Uh, good luck to you and uh, hope to see you in person sometime.